following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. So, um, <laughs> you ever make plans about things? You plan how things are going to go? Maybe make a checklist or whatever. That's not how it works in my life anymore. Um, well, it goes, yeah, well, it's kind of goes beyond that. I just to tell a quick story before we get into the word this morning um, of just some funny things about, like I said, how uh, the Lord has woven together uh, or is in the process of weaving together Crossroad Church and LifeBridge. Um, I met Andy at Subway in West Ossipee. Uh, what, six years ago, almost seven years ago. Um, <laughs> I was on my way here from Oxford, Maine, where I lived before, and was coming here to meet with a committee that was put together, search for a new pastor for the church. And uh, those of you who know me well know my compulsive earliness, um, and especially when I'm nervous about something, I'm super early. So I got to West Ossipi about an hour and a half before I needed to be here. And um, media at 6 or 6.30 or something, I didn't have supper because food is irrelevant when I'm nervous and need to get someplace. So I stop at Subway and, and eat. This is the old Subway before it got all fancy like it is now. Uh, sat and I ate my sandwich by myself, which took all of 47 seconds. Um, and I'm just sitting there and not knowing what to do with myself. Uh, and um, Andy came in and got his food and sat down. And this is back in the day where, when the booths are very much like the pews here, the, sub, the church of Subway down there, all in a row. And I'm sitting in all the way in the back, and I see Andy sit down and open up his sandwich, and bow his head to pray, uh, and give thanks for his food. And I thought, well, that's, huh. Now, I don't know what I thought. I, was, I don't think much about anything. So, I, I, um, in my compulsiveness, I went and sat, I was, just came over and spoke to Anius, and, and I noticed you about to pray before he ate. And, uh, um, and we started talking, and I told him what, I was here to do, um, and so we had a time of fellowship and prayer, um, which, <laughs> anyway, really special um, to me. So there's a chapter two to that story, but Andy's not in it, and I won't bore you with it now. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we're going to go back to the letter to Titus this morning. Um, we're going to look at chapter two, verses one through ten, and that's page 998 in the Pew Bibles, um, 998 in your Bible too, Andy, because I think you have the same Bible as me, <laughs> anyway. Uh, I also don't think that uh, it's at all coincidence um, and yet not totally not planned by me um, to have the, uh, this focus on mentoring um, and then looking at this particular passage of Scripture, I'd, I'd love to take credit for sewing this together, but it wasn't me. 
So I want to ask you a question before we get to the text. And this is a question I think we've wrestled with before as a church family. And that's, how do you know what someone believes? How do you know what someone believes? Maybe, uh, maybe they can tell you what they think about something, but that doesn't really prove that they believe it. I can say a million times that I think the floor is strong enough to hold me, but until I actually stand on it, I haven't proven anything. I haven't proven that I believe that's to be true, that to be true. Donald Miller in his book Blue Like Jazz wrote, what you believe isn't what you say you believe. What you believe is what you do. And this is exactly what Paul was dealing with in these verses in his letter to Titus. So we're going to read them and then we pray and get to work. Titus chapter 2, start of verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. I thank you that it's not an accident that we're in this passage of Scripture as we work through uh, these letters that you've given the church through your servant, Paul. We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us this morning. We know these are your words, and uh, we are your people, and what you have said matters to us. So we pray, Lord, you'd open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and soften our hearts to receive the message you have for us, and the power to apply it to our lives. We love you, Lord, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verses 14 and 15, He said, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is exactly the idea Paul is talking about in Titus 2. That no matter who you are, old or young, male or female, your faith and the sanctification of your inner self must shine forth like a lamp in a dark room. Set up high on a stand in the whole of our daily walks and conduct. 
This is how we are to be. And I say that because living as a Christian is not just saying that you're a Christian. It's not just claiming Christianity like you might claim your race or ethnicity. It's not just agreeing to a list of facts either. Christianity is about more than beliefs. It's about letting those beliefs shape how you behave. It's not a matter of acting in such a way so that God will love you or that Jesus will approve of you, but it's acting in such a way because God loves you and Jesus has approved of you. Even the meaning of the word Christian might not mean what you think it means. It doesn't mean someone who belongs to a church or attends religious services on a semi-regular basis unless the fair is in town. (laughs) You're all here, so. (laughs) What does the word Christian mean? It means one who belongs to Christ. One who belongs to Christ. If you belong to Christ by faith in him, then you are a Christian. And if you are a Christian, then you are a Christian before you are anything else. I am not just a man. I am a Christian man. You are not just an American. You are a Christian American. Right? You see what I mean? You are not just a mom or a dad or a husband or brother or sister wife or mother, you're a Christian first. And so that flavors everything else. You are a Christian before you are all these things. Before you're a daughter, a husband, a wife, a brother, a sister, a mother, a father, or employee, or boss, or older man, or younger man, or older woman, or younger woman. And if you are a Christian, then you belong in one of the four groups of people Paul mentions in Titus 2. I would love to be able to tell you exactly where the line is between older man and younger man and older woman and younger woman. Um, Somewhere around 120, so we're all young, right? No? No. You already know. I don't need to tell you. John Calvin wrote that sound doctrine consists of two parts. The first is that which magnifies the grace of God in Christ Jesus, from which we may learn what, uh, learn where we ought to seek our salvation. That's the first part. And the second is that which the life is trained in the fear of God and inoffensive conduct. And that's where we're at today. Paul in this text is concerned with the second part. A life trained in the fear of God and inoffensive conduct. Here's what he says. Accords with sound doctrine. That's his instruction to Titus. Teach what accords with sound doctrine. And here it is. In verse 2. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Paul here describes the character characteristics of maturity um, that the older men in the churches were to aspire to, both in their behavior and in their understanding. And as one who is 
teetering on the edge, <laughs> I think. I will not attempt to qualify who is an older man, a younger man. Culturally speaking, in the first century, over 40 means older. And sorry, that's just the way it goes. Get over it. <laughs> what about these older men? Older men within a church family must be sober-minded. They must be restrained in their conduct. They must be dignified, which means well-regulated in their morals. They must be self-controlled. And this is a good word because it happened, it repeats over and over in this um, text. Self-controlled. The Greek word is sophron, which you can impress your friends with. It just means acting wisely and sensible and temperate in their attitude and behavior. And also following is Paul's often written trilogy of Christian virtues, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. You might think faith, hope, and love. Well, steadfastness is acting on hope. It's being patient in waiting for what you are confidently expecting. Older men are to serve as examples for the rest of the church. Those who do not uh, those who not only know what they believe, but also live what they believe. They know what it means to truly love the Lord and to love people and are patient in waiting uh, for our blessed hope, the return of the Lord Jesus. Men like this are a true gift to God's family. And we should all aspire uh, to be this way. Titus was to teach the older men of the congregation to be like that, to not only have an eye towards their own life and walk and ministry, but also to have an eye towards the life and ministry and faith of others. Likewise, it says in verse 3, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine, they are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Now, a smarter man might shy away from talking about older women and younger women and what they ought to do, um, but I am not that smart. Scripture covers it, and so we're not shy away from it either. I'm not going to tell you which car is mine, so you can't slash my tires after. I walked here, so you can't. Never mind. All right. The older... You can't tell I'm scared, can you? The, the older women in a church family, again, you know who you are. I'm not going to point you out. The older women were to be reverent in behavior, meaning to behave in such a way that honors God, to act in a godly manner. That's opposed to being, as it says in the text, opposed to being slanderers. Now, this is funny. This word is translated slanderers. In a Greek, it's the word diabolos. You heard that word before? <laughs> I didn't write this, and to be clear. It means literally devils. And what is the devil? He's the accuser. He's a slanderer. He is the embodiment of slandering. 
attacking the character of others and accusing them. Older women not be should not be like that. Hmm. Also, they must not be slaves to much wine. Um, addiction to alcohol or other substances, controlled or otherwise, stands in stark contrast to the godly manner in which older women were to walk. The older women did and still do, however, have a responsibility to not just manage the way that they act and live, but like the older men, to have an eye on others, to teach and train younger women, and to train, teach and train them to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. This is really important. Older women must live this themselves, and so also teach younger women to do the same. And here's why this is so important. Ladies, I can tell you what the Bible says about wives loving and respecting their husband. I can read you the words. We can talk about the original language and fill it out a little bit more. But I can't show you how to do it. I can show you how to act like a wife. That's uh, impossible for me. That's not my responsibility, even if it was possible. However, it is the responsibility of the older women in a church family to come alongside younger women and to train them how to do these things. See, this is why I think it's no accident that uh, LifeBridge Mentoring is, uh, is here this morning. It's exactly what their ministry is. It's coming alongside people who need help learning how to be. This is our responsibility within the church family to love each other enough to help each other grow and learn to live. The word that's translated train there in the verse, to train the younger women, is the same Greek word, uh, the root word at least, as self-control, which I think is interesting. The word sophron, again. It means to teach how to live wisely. No man can ever proper, properly teach a woman how to be a wife and a mother. What do we know about it? Nothing. We know nothing about that. It takes the wisdom gained by experience of another wife and mother. It takes the wisdom that only God can give to truly do this work, to show them how to be pure without moral defect, to be working at home, not trapped in the house, but focused on the good of their household, and to be kind and submissive to their own husbands. Paul gives us a hint at the results when people within the church act this way. Do you see what it is there in the text? That the word of God may not be reviled. That the word of God may not be reviled. Verse 6 says, Just like the older women are to train the younger women how to walk wisely. Verse 6 says, Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Well, that's all they get. Sound like the young guys get off easy. Their list is short, right? 
Well, that's not true. And they're following the example of the older men. You can look at their list up above. The word self-control there again. Sophron. To walk and live wisely. To follow the example of those older men who are sober-minded and dignified and self-control and sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. This is how we are to live. And it takes older men to show us how to do it. I say us because I still think I'm a younger man, but I know I'm not. I have some proof right here. Titus would have been considered a younger man. But as a minister of the gospel, Paul expanded his list for him in verse 7. He says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. I think this is very important, and I take this very personally. Um, Paul urged Titus to unite the preaching of the word with the preaching of his own example. Um, Without the preaching of our own examples, all other preaching and teaching is in vain. It's worthless. I could stand up here and tell you exactly what you ought to do with your life and how to live to please God. But if I don't hear the sermon and enact it first, what good is that? If I tell you not to lie, but I'm a liar, oh, rats, it's too late, right? It's so important that our life match our words. That's why I say what we believe is not what we say we believe. What we believe is what we do. I can't say Jesus is Lord and mean it if I don't prove it with my life. And the same is true for you. The same is true for Titus. All teaching is useless unless the teacher's example follows his words. Again, Paul gives us a glimpse of the results when people practice what they preach. Literally. (laughs) That an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. I like the us part. It's not so nobody say anything bad about you. It's us, Christians, teachers, all of us together. And finally, Paul turns his attention to slaves, which is interesting. He says in verse 9, Bond servants, slaves, are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Now, we've talked about slavery here before. Is an evil practice, and we all know that. In first century Rome, it's a huge part of civilization. Over half of the Roman population were slaves. They were the property of someone else. They did not have freedom to go and do as they pleased, but they belonged to someone else. And though none of us here are property of anyone else, at least as far as I'm aware, many of us, would be considered wage slaves. Hmm. You don't like to think of yourself as a slave at work, but if you stop showing up for a while, you notice what happens quickly. 
you stop getting paid. That's that's a problem. We uh, are wage slaves in that we trade our time and our service for a paycheck. But what does Paul encourage slaves to do and to be? It's to be the best slaves they could be. To faithfully serve their masters. Not rebellious, not back-talking or stealing from them, but being faithful in all things. And what is the result? Paul gives us another hint. That they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. In Jameson, Foster, and Brown's commentary, critical and explanatory on the whole Bible. Sound impressive, doesn't it? I didn't know the title of the book until I looked it up. It says, Even slaves, as low as is their status, should not think the influence of their example a matter of no consequence to religion. How much more those in high position. Whether you're a wage slave or a retired wage slave or self-made whatever, what we do tells what we believe. Every day when we go to work or interact with our neighbors or drive down the road, whatever we find ourselves doing, we are preaching. Do you know that? We are preaching what we believe. We're preaching what we think is most important. We're preaching who we trust and who is Lord of our lives with every action. And when you go to work, how... How easy is it to not represent the Lord Jesus Christ? Right? Well, I just keep the religious part for, you know, when it's most convenient. I'm at work and I my job stinks and my boss is a dope and all these people here are idiots. Right? I've had that job. <laughs> right? It's hard. But it's the most important because it's so easy to separate things to compartmentalize, right? I can act a certain way when I'm at church or when I'm around a church or whatever, when people are watching. But work people don't count. They do. They absolutely do. Now, it would be really easy, and I think it's my temptation often, to slip into the mode of focusing on each of these traits that match up with, with where we fit. Oh, I'm an older man, so I've got to check, 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 right? Check off these items on our moral checklist. And then, well, I got my list done, right? I'm self-controlled and dignified and sound in speech and love and faith and steadfastness. Oh, yeah, look at me. When we live this way, we miss the point. When we live this way, we feel pride when we check off our boxes. I'm good. I got my stuff done. I'll just let it go. On the other side, we see this list and say, I can't do these things. I, ah, uh, boy, you know, I fail all the time. I can't get this right. Dignified? Are you kidding? You, you've met me, right? This sound of speech? Right. It's easy to fall and feel like we failed 
and feel depressed and defeated when we fall short of these things. I didn't get them all. We are bought with the blood of Christ. There is no room for pride anymore. I got all these things done today. <laughs> uh-huh. um, our sin is washed away through faith in him. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what the word of God says. Our moral checklist, our filling out the boxes, I got my things done today because I'm an older man and that's what I'm supposed to do and I did it today so I'm good and put my feet up. Our moral checklist does not make us any more acceptable to God. And we are not to take on uh, these traits just so other people think we are more godly. Uh, that's the other part. Because... Who are you fooling? <laughs> you can't fool the world. That's great. You know, when you stand in judgment, it's not the world's standards going to be applied to you. Right? What they thought about you won't matter. The truth of the matter is that the world tends to think that the church is hypocritical, judgmental homophobes. And unfortunately, the church hasn't proven otherwise. John Chrysostom said the heathen did not judge the Christian's doctrine from the doctrine, but from his actions and life. And though we will not be judged by the world's standards at the final judgment before the Lord Jesus, the good name of the gospel does depend on the proper conduct of those that profess it in the stations that they occupy, whether it's older or younger, slave or free. That's what's really at stake here. That's what's at stake. When we leave this place, the life that we live preaches a gospel that we might not hear the words of, but other people will. If we truly live what we say we believe, we don't live it so that people will think we're godly. We live it so that, as Paul wrote, the word of God will not be reviled, that opponents will have nothing evil to say about the church, and that everything we may adorn, we may decorate like jewelry, the doctrine of God our Savior. That's the point. It's not just straighten up, do what you're supposed to do, but act in such a way that the word of God is not reviled that opponents will have nothing evil to say about God's church, and that in everything the church may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. I think that's a good thing. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let's pray. Father, um, we recognize that it is only by your grace that we are saved. And it is only with your help we can live in such a way that does not dishonor the gospel, that does not dishonor you, or dishonor your word. We can't do that on our own, in our own strength. So we beg for your help. That we would be true representatives of faith in Jesus Christ. 
that people would feel your love and see your love in action through us. That people would know that there is a Father in heaven who loves them because of the children that are here on earth and the love that they have for one another. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that does not know you, has not been adopted as your child, this morning they would turn to you in faith, ask for forgiveness for their sin, and put their trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, for help and strength. Lord, we thank you for your grace that saved us, even though we don't deserve it, we couldn't earn it, it's a gift. I pray that we would all receive that great gift gladly. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890. 